All right, wait, what? Uh, are we episode 30 now? Yeah, this is 31. Crap, no, it is 30. It's 30. It's 30. 30. Hold on, one second. Why do we, we all have do access that? to the internet? We could all look it up. Welcome to episode whatever of the Construction Dorkcast. In this episode, we bring in the Plexus Patriot Chad Pearson to talk about building truth in the software sales process. Jeff does double duty as both host and guest as we talk about some of the shady and toxic sales tactics we're seeing in the industry and have some honest discussions on how we got there and how we can help nip them in the bud. We also point out that the blame isn't all on the vendor side. Be an informed buyer. We hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. And we're live. That's right. Dorkcast episode 30. The shady side of software. With our special guest, the Plexus Patriot, Chad Pearson. And <laughs> yours truly is going to give up the role of being a dork and get on the other side of the microphone for a night. This is going to be an epic ride. I'm super excited that we uh, are able to have this conversation. I think it's it's something that's needed. It's something that happens in the back, uh, the back of the bars, like we always do with all our conversations. So we're bringing it to the front of the room, and I think it's a now's a really important time for us to to talk about it as we uh, as we re-enter the world, so to speak. So I'll uh, I'll get her started. I am drinking today. Um, so I have a little Elijah Craig straight rye, baby. It's a Kentucky straight rye brought to you by Flaviar. 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 It is fantastic. It has gone down well. It goes down straight and it goes down in an old fashioned. Tonight I am just drinking it straight though. So to the, to the listeners at home, come along with us. Jonathan Marsh. The ready player one behind you. If people can't see what it is, what you drinking? What you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm drinking uh, George Dickel, a barrel pick 15 year barrel pick. And, and it's wonderful. It, it is so wonderful. I'm looking forward to, to talking to Chad. This is actually one of the shows that I think uh, we should have been doing um, earlier in the year, just because it's, yeah. it's really important that we get this out to people, get them, understanding kind of what's going on behind the scenes sometimes for sure all right, trent? All nope, right. nope i go to trent yeah i'm supposed to step back aren't i how, how's the jeff i fumbled you dead air and you just start talking <laughs> look it's the jeff bot what are you gonna do <laughs> look this is my time all right so uh, <laughs> <you> got the <laughs> i'm going with uh one of travis's favorites going back oh, to the ipa realm because he just loves them this one's actually cleverly called the Thai PA. Ooh. It's an IPA with Thai spices. It's actually pretty good. I do love plays on words. Or as Zach Galifianakis says, the Thai PA. <laughs> so. All right. Well, now Travis. Now Travis goes. And I have to say it with the, the play on words in mind, Jonathan, I'm, I'm kind of upset they didn't call it the, the Dickel pick a pickle or something like that, that there you're talking the, the pick. Um, so uh, it is. Don't get us canceled. Don't get us canceled. Um, it is uh, 92 degrees here with the heat index, and I have a semifinal game to go coach right after this. So, um, to all of the fellow, if you've ever listened to or seen the Ballad of Buster Scraggs, I am drinking cold, clear water. <laughs> Yummy. 
I don't know if anybody gets that reference, but uh, it's one of my favorite things on Netflix. (laughs) I thought you were going to go for the high quality HD quality. I could have done that one too. You'll missed opportunity. Miss, ah, uh, damn it. Cut, cut, cut. Uh, we're going to go back to the beginning. Let's run this again. And you're just creating work for yourself. You're just creating, that's true. That's true. Good luck. John. Um, and now to our guest, Chad Pearson. Introduce yourself, the Plexus Patriot, my, my homeboy. Well, you just did introduce me, so I'm just, uh, I'm really humbled to be here. I love candid conversations, so uh, what am I drinking tonight? Crown Royal Apple. It's a little bit too sweet. I normally wouldn't be drinking uh, something so sugary because I'm trying to watch my boyish figure, but uh, it just tastes delicious. So thank you for the invite, boys. I'm uh, really looking forward to this. In a CDX cup, no less. In, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we had that CDX meeting today, right? We so, did. Yeah, just here to support the mission. Does Nathan pay you for that, or do you owe him? <laughs> that funny story behind this, it took forever to get it across the border. So, I'm up, <laughs> right. up to Canada, right? So, everybody else got their little care package, except for me, for literally like a year and a half. But it finally made its way, so I, I kind of cherish it. Yeah, it is a really nice cup. It's I a mean, very Na- nice cup. Nathan's swag game is pretty strong, mm-hmm. I have to say. Uh, I, I would agree. I would agree there in spades, Trent. Yeah, Nathan's sure. swag game is high. It's it's definitely next level. Very much, very much. Guy, guy takes care of his people, for he sure. Does. He does. He does. All right. Well, we are here to talk about the swag that you have on your shirt there, buddy. Um, yes. I'm really excited that we get the opportunity to do this. I think, Jonathan, you were absolutely right that this is, it's a long time coming. We've had this on our list of of topics to have. And, you know, Chad, I want you to just talk about that little hashtag that you started not so long ago with build truth. What does that mean to you? What is this whole conversation we're about to have? Like kind of frame it out for us. Well, it started, uh, it started as one thing and it evolved, uh, but what, uh, what prompted it was we, we were getting into some pretty intense sales cycles and our product, we focus heavily on a very niche market. And when we were looking at the functionality of our products versus others, there just really wasn't a comparison. And um, I, I have a background in, I was a former cop, don't hold that against me. Um, so when we started losing, I just went right into investigative mode and I was doing everything I could to find out why we were losing these deals. And we started to see patterns in real toxic sales tactics that were occurring. So it took about five years to really be confident with the patterns that we saw and how, and the tactics that overcome them. So we, we ended up creating a, uh, a fair contract process. We started um, educating people on uh, how to uh, beat these tactics and protect themselves uh, from them. And once we were firm with our uh, strategy and the tactics to overcome the, uh, the toxic sales tactics, <clears throat> we just came up with build truth. Um, it just flew out of our mouths one day, you know, we got to build truth in this industry. So we turned it into a hashtag. And then the amazing thing is, is, um, <laughs> So funny, eh? practice what you preach. We started all wearing the shirts and we all started noticing things. We're like, we, we, we caught ourselves, uh, you know, spinning words sometimes, you know, we were going into marketing and we we're like, oh my God, we got a flaw here. And, and, uh, and we weren't being open and honest about it. So we started catching ourselves in it in, the, in our own presentations. 
So we not only wear these now to really build truth in, in the industry through a, like what we call a protect and serve mindset, um, but it's honestly, it's turned into something that's held ourselves accountable as well. It, it it's super cool because I'm with you and and I'm I'm gonna jump into the seat with you here and t- let's talk about how we met originally. So um, I was speaking in Arizona, the American Society of Concrete Contractors, when we first met, and it w- it was pretty soon after that that I made the jump um, into working for JB Knowledge. And you know the first thing Chad asked me was like, "All right, who do you work for? Which of those people is paying you, et cetera, et cetera?" And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." none of those things that I just went over gives me any money. I won't take any money, you know? And, and he was like, Oh, we are going to have to talk. Yeah. And look, I was young, man, getting back into this business um, from that side. And I didn't even know how much I was probably leaving on the table with it. Um, but immediately we hooked, we hooked up there and became friends. And then I went to actually work for a competitor in some respects, like, we always had fun with this, Chad, because it was the truth. Like I worked for ESUB. So if you guys know ESUB, project management software for trade contractors. So Chad sells, um, am I doing it justice by calling it an ERP for specialty contractors or trade contractors um, without going too deep into it? Um, yep. But quote unquote, we would compete, right? We'd be in the same RFP process, et cetera. And um Chad reaches out to me and says, Hey, I I got this opportunity for you to come speak at the mechanical association of Canada's annual show. And we're going to be there. And I'm like, that's like, I love Chad, but don't we compete, man? And he was like, yeah, we do. But like, you're solid. Like, and I was like, Oh, so we literally get up there and I I was, it it was in Nashville of all places. Right. We were in Nashville for that one. And we had fun on stage, like, hey, you see that guy over there? That's my competitor. And, and we, we talked about like the MMA, like the, there is nothing wrong with competition. And in fact, software vendors should be ready to like take, maybe go down to four ounce gloves. Let's not say take the gloves <laughs> yeah. off, you know, go down to four. And I said, I want to get in the ring and fight Chad toe to toe. And it is my goal to choke his ass <laughs> out. Yeah, right and win and it's his yeah, it's, not- it's his to knee me in the face on the way in for the for the takedown and knock me out right all within the bounds of the rules though right and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately in the game we play there is no rules well, right yeah, like it, it, it's an infinite game and 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 those of you i've talked to about this you know it's an infinite game the, the rules change every day etc cetera, etc cetera. You never know what it's going to be. You might be on top of the, the world today, but the game's going to change tomorrow. That's why you continually innovate and change. But ultimately, you have to kind of play by a sense of ethics, right? Exactly. It's, um, and it really, really what Bill True stands for is the fact that, you know, you know back when I was a police officer, um, you, you notice that wherever there's opportunity, right, you're going to find opportunities. You're going to find good people, who are there serving the opportunity, but then you're going to find bad people that are literally there uh, serving themselves at the expense of others. And it's all fine and dandy that, you know, we're out there uh, involved in our mission, whatever technology uh, you're selling in the industry, you've got your mission. That's great that you're serving the industry with it, but construction is just, the, the opportunity in construction is massive right now. So the market is being flooded with opportunists and these and these BS tactics. So 
it's not enough anymore to just serve the industry with your mission. You, you should feel an obligation to protect the industry from these harmful behaviors. So that's what we spent so much time identifying and coming up with tactics around it, right? So it, um, it really was kind of bringing the investigative, uh, investigate, navigate, um, uh, validate, navigate, and educate um, of the protect and serve mindset into, into the industry. And, um, and when I met you, uh, when I first met you, uh, the reason why I came up and I was kind of like, yeah, so uh, you get any compensation from those guys that you're promoting? And uh, the reason why I was asking this question is because we just got screwed by a consultant. We had a, it was a, he, he was managing a uh, peer group and we found out later, it was like all, all of a sudden, all of these members of this peer group just poof, disappeared off the table and we couldn't understand why. So we had some really trusted contacts, uh, contacts in that group. Then we found out um, that the deck, the, the report that he gave them was different than the report that he gave us. He's like, hey, this is the report, uh, totally objective. We found out it was different. Then we found out um, that he went to the biggest player, created a spreadsheet that showed how we were going to be out of business in, within five years, because at the time we only focused on walls and ceilings. And so he created this spreadsheet without even asking us what our expansion strategies and just assumed that we were just going to go out of business. So when I saw the evidence the, 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 that he changed the, the reports he gave us and what he gave the peer group and then went to the effort to sue us with that uh, spreadsheet, that's when I was like, oh my God, you know what? Okay, we got to hunker down these consultants and find out who's got integrity. And that's why I came at you with those questions. And then when you answered the way you did, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to be good friends. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, re you hit a good point, man. Like, and this is, it's all about creating an educated environment, right? It's important for construction technologists and construction that's looking at technology to be an educated consumer, right? Like you, if you just go out on Facebook and click on every other advertisement that pops up on you, you're not an educated uh, consumer. You're going to get some fake site, you know, 200 and, you know, a $2,000 I don't know, uh, paddleboard for 75 bucks. Mm -hmm. It's too good to be true. They're just stealing 75 bucks from you. Let's be honest, right? Like you got to educate yourself a little bit. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't think a lot of people, especially in construction understood that Chad, that there was people getting paid to consult and yeah. to speak, to represent products for their own best interest. They were getting a cut when um, they're leveraging their trusted uh, reputation in the industry right for, when they were the record, acting as trusted advisors for the record the the dorks are not paid yet i mean yeah. anyone out there you know <laughs> we're for sale we're, we're just for sale. Not, nobody's <laughs> bought us yet. and the price no is pretty us. cheap right? yeah i mean yeah. 75 bucks sounds pretty good <laughs> one flaviar membership of we're, we're oh i'm solid. in Sold. Oh, I, sold baby what it's what are we selling who what, 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 what do you got what do i gotta hawk it's um, <laughs> a cool topic guys i, I, I want to jump in quick because I, I think that um to piggyback off what jet was jeff was saying with the the education piece so part of the i think part of what started our discussion in, uh, among us and getting chat on was your video about cloud company um, yes. So I wanted to, yeah. to take an opportunity here for you to kind of educate, educate our listeners on cloud cuffing, 
Um, and, and maybe that'll dovetail in Jeff, you'll, you can jump into on some of those other things that you're seeing in the sales process that we have to jump all over. Yeah. So, so we look at marketing, we actually call marketing mismarketing. So there's no such thing as marketing. There's mismarketing and education and mismarketing only tells partial truth and education tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right. So uh, cloud cuffing, you know, cloud cuffing often is when a uh, software company will sell both uh, like a hosted and software uh, as a service package. And what they do is they get the customer hooked in. It's an open labor agreement. There's, there's no cap on labor. In fact, it's an incomplete labor agreement. It's very vague. And once the customer signs on for the software, they're, they're hooked. They're literally handcuffed into that agreement. But the problem is these software is extreme, you know, implementations are as tough as $2 stakes, as I say, right? And <clears throat> when you have an open labor agreement, it's literally like sitting in the casino and letting the casino decide how long you're going to sit there and how, and how much you're going to bet. And they, they hook you into the agreement. Then the implementation comes. It's challenging as hell. You, you were told there's only going to be X amounts. And the pattern that we saw, it resulted in between 200 and 400% in ex, uh, excessive overages. So they do that on purpose. Now, we came up with a uh, terms that you should include in your contract to protect you from cloud cuffing. And it started out as just a clause in the contract that um, uh, deferred any payments on the software until the software was live. So instead of a normal cloud cutting contract that would put full onus on the customer to get the software live, even though the, the sales reps said, hey, it's no problem, we'll get you live, we do it over time, it's really easy, you just do it. it's a data import and training, boom, you're done. So even though they'll mislead customers into thinking that it's easier than what it actually is, They'll get locked in. Then they realize it's um, it, it put, sorry. If you put the term in the agreement that the software payments um, are deferred until the software is live, and you define go live, like for us, it's uh, you know AP payments are through the system. You're posting to the GL. Uh, payroll is done through the system, and you've got all of your historical AI billings entered in, so you can accurately go to retention. We define go live. You hit go live. Then the software payments can um, uh, are, are, are in play. So that puts the onus on the provider who's saying they can implement, puts the onus on them to make sure you implement. That was the first term that we had and we thought we had customers protected. But then when customers, we, we ran into some customers who were trying to switch from their software provider and the software provider forced them into another three-year contract because they, when, when they were, they said they were denied them access, so they didn't have access to the data that they own um, for the implementation process, thus enabling them to switch to different software. So they were cuffing them to their data uh, through the terms in their contract. So get this. We're like, okay, well, uh, negotiate. Add, add in your contract to negotiate a lifetime license in the agreement to make sure you had access to all of your data that you own. And... Then what happened, we ran into another customer who did have that in their terms. And then, but what happened was the end user license agreement that came with the, with the, with one update, we didn't, we couldn't identify which, but with an update to the software, the 
terms were changed and the lifetime license was deprecated. So they still nailed them. So now in our terms, you, you put the uh, software fees are deferred. Then you've got the protection. Um, you, you've got the uh, protection with the lifetime license and you've got to add in a third clause to say that uh, with any updates to the end user license group, uh, great, uh, the end user license agreement or the software that the lifetime license is grandfathered into future versions. Like it was nuts to see the evolution of the, of the tactic, of the toxic tactic against uh, the terms that we were creating to prevent or, or protect people from uh, cloud cover. Chad, I got to say one of the things when, when Jeff put me onto your site that I, I thought that amazed me was I don't know that I've ever negotiated or changed the contract with the software provider. I don't know that that enters my mind too awful much. And, and since I've been watching what you're doing, I'm like, okay, you know, we have to, we have yes. to set a line, you know, and, and, you know, we just finished a show on data. And, and one of the biggest things we highlighted was how valuable data is becoming. Data is becoming the coin of the realm for a whole new set of software. So if, if, you know, I, I think one of the things that I learned from you and, and Jeff, I give you credit too, is we have to find ways to protect our software. And what I, I saw at, at, at Build Truth was just, wow, here's somebody who's actually like, I'm going to write them out for you. Here, here's yeah, here's what you need to do. <laughs> that's exactly it. We, um, the biggest one I've ever seen now is unfair subscriptions. And, I mean, at the, the cause of all this is what I said at the beginning, right? With the opportunity in construction, it's attracting the opportunists. And the it comes out of mergers and acquisitions and, and private, private private equity venture capital. So you have all of these companies that have been leading technology in the industry, um, engaging or getting heavily funded. I mean, some funding's okay, but heavily funded. Um, anyone can go on crunchbase.com and see the level of funding that each company has. And there's two things that you should take a look at. The amount of funding, number of investors, so those, that's one thing. And then this, um, uh, the, the, uh, the second thing, uh, sorry, num uh, the amount of funding, and then the uh, num uh, number of investors, and then the number of acquisitions. And that's because the, the amount of funding is going to give you an indication of how much risk of price increases you're going to experience over the next years. Because as much as these companies will say they're people first or they put people at the center of their business model, they're not, what they're not saying, that's only a partial truth, what they're not saying is that those people are the shareholders. So it's very shareholder centric and they, there's only one place that that money can be recouped for investors and that's customers. So, um, and then the mergers and acquisitions, um, we call this, uh, it's customer shakedowns. They'll acquire companies, not for the technology, but well, sometimes they do, but they'll acquire companies for the customer list. And then they tell all the customers that the software is being deprecated and then they shake them down to, to come on. So just in the last two months, we replaced the systems in two customers and the same lady was, uh, that was working for the deprecated software was helping us with the transition. She was really nice. And I said, well, okay, the, I'll tell you what, if you got any other um, customers that are in our market, point, out, point them your way because she was complimenting us in the product. She said, I can't. I'm contractually obligated to refer X company. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a, it literally is a shakedown. And these customers felt tremendous pressure to switch to the software. But um, 
the biggest thing that we're seeing now is unfair subscriptions where they're being, people are being hooked into subscriptions. They're being uh, uh, sold that subscriptions have a lot of value because they'll protect your cash flow and in construction technology, cash flow is what pays for the software. So it's a, subscriptions look attractive. The problem is um, they are, are ignoring the fact that it's a very laborious implementation and subscriptions make sense for Netflix, instant value products like Netflix, magazines, Amazon. But in construction, the complex software implementations um, are extremely laborious. Like if, if, you had to, if you had to prepare the Amazon warehouse, if you had to create the movies on Netflix, you know, if you had to write the articles in the magazines, you would not pay the subscription. So the same terms apply, right? Okay, you want to give me a, a subscription to protect my cash flow? Awesome. Subscriptions don't start until I'm live. Let's define go live. I'm ready to go. I'd love the deal. It's that simple. It, you hit a couple of, of great ones there, and, and I'm going to be the antithesis of this, right? Because I work for and have been working for currently a pretty SaaS-based software that the subscriptions were supposed to actually um, improve the service. They were like tips, right? It was like, well, a subscription service means you can leave me at any given moment and you own your own data. Let's be, this is if we are unscrupulous. And yep. we have scruples and we're doing this correctly. Like you own your data, you own that information. You can leave it anytime or perpetually have access for some shared nominal amount. That's less than you could store it on your own darn servers yourselves. Right. Yep. So, but it's, it's having scruples and it's understanding that like the whole idea behind SaaS software was so that you could cut and run, right. That, that we would always have to maintain your satisfaction, maintain you as the center of our universe. And so these are, two very different worlds. Like the world I'm in is more of a pre-construction. We're more of, I wouldn't call us a Netflix, but I would say we're, we're faster time to value than most. You're an ERP solution. Like that's the heart. You're a heart transplant. I'm just giving you a, a new arm. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not simple. You know, it's not nothing. It's not insignificant, but it's not a heart transplant, right? I'm, I'm giving you a new arm. We're going to make this thing work. It's, it's a new appendage. It's going to be those things. And we're supposed to be utilizing our subscription as a way to, for us to continually provide more service and provide more value over time. But we saw the same thing. And I saw the same thing, Chad, in the contracts and in the way people were being treated, that they were being bamboozled into it. And, exactly. and so there's like this balance too, that, that you, you have to look at like, Time to value is something I just wrote about recently and I'm super into it because I think time to value in ERP is long, but you're, you're not, you're not cashing out as a company, right? You're not taking your and, and counting your, your money until you're implemented. That's when value has hit, right? When, when you're live on all those things, you said value is coming in. And I think we, we should see rapid value and we don't see that nearly enough. That's exactly it. It's, it is about rapid value. So <clears throat> ROI or the value in a subscription product should come within around six months on an ERP around 18 months. That's mm -hmm. kind of what, you know, we see as something that is advantageous to both parties. And I'll use the word fair. So with a subscription product, there are immense benefits to subscription products. And we even have an in our own product line. Um, but we do have that labor period, the onboarding period where there isn't a subscription fee. In some cases, we'll have a very nominal hosting. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but the subscription fee doesn't come into play until they're starting to see that six month value. So it's so easy to do. You can have, you can show a lot of integrity with a subscription product just by giving that grace. Now, there are some customers who, no matter what you do, no matter what the service you provide, they can't be onboarded. Wait, like, wait, before you get there, because yeah. I wanted to tee you up on this. Not that like we are not in cahoots, but Joe Whitney asked this question earlier. I agree. Yeah. Consultants can be unscrupulous, but how often do you run into unethical customers? And I feel like I'm, I'm spending this whole damn show setting you up here, but Chad has the most phenomenal plexus. I mean, Chad, I'm giving you all the credit because you're the spokesman, but in our opinion, but I'm sure there's, there's smarter brains behind you. that are thinking about all these things. You just get to be the, the pretty boy out there saying it, but you actually have a scoring system to handle this to eliminate customers that you won't work with. That, that's correct. Uh, we, have a, um, <clears throat> so we have a sales mantra, be early, be on time, repeat important points five times. Um, the, uh, the Plexus Fit portion is what Jeff is talking about, right? So we have a scoring system where it, even if a customer came up and said, oh my God, I've heard so much about you, I want your product, where can I sign? Great, <clears throat> we don't go ahead. We bring everybody through our process, which starts with the software fit stage. It, we, they have to, have to get a tech team together. There is no way that the CFO comes in and makes a decision by themselves. We just don't let it. If they force it, they are not coming on board with us because it never works out well. It, that, that's just the quickest way to turn you know company into an accounting firm that builds instead of you know, builders with strong you know, financial management. So what we do is we force a process where they do get a tech team together where it has representatives from each department. And we have to do this because we're an ERP. So all of the key players uh, come together. Then we have multiple deep dives. Then we do a deep discovery. It's a 27 page, 27 pages of questions, lots of follow-up, uh, lots of follow-up questions. And then this is all feeding a score. And if the score is above uh, 80%, uh, we are pursuing this account like that. If it's below, it doesn't mean it's a bad company. It just means that it's a bad fit for us. Sometimes it is a bad company. They're completely fragmented in their culture and they're a nightmare and I, we just run. Um, but if it's a good company, then it's not a good fit. We do help them find a better fit. And Jeff is, I personally called Jeff with companies that have not fit us, but they were fit for ESA at the time, uh, for example. Um, so Chad? we have a, yeah. I would definitely say that what you just described as far as looking at potential sales clients is exactly what we would love to have in construction for our yes. clients. Because yeah. right. if you if, if we could afford, and I, and this is this flows into the question, if we could afford to vet our clients at that level, um, I can guarantee you we'd have higher success levels. For those software people that are out there, you know. What kind of, and, and I'm asking you about Plexus this time, which we usually don't ask about a product, but what, what, what kind of investment are you making in your, your clients when you're doing that? Because that's risky as hell to say, I am going to, to, to look at my clients at that level. And, and because this is a show for contractors, you know, I would very much say, I think there's an upside for us as contractors looking at our clients, but it's. Give us an idea of like, what is Plexus's investment in just looking at the client before we even move in? Before okay, we even so move in. <clears throat> our sales cycle is between three and six months. And um, now this, this can apply to point systems as well. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll blow this down a little bit. 
even when the contractor goes through this process with us and we recommend them somewhere else. They get a lot of value out of it because what we do is by the end of the discovery, we have a list of uh, risks that will impede the success of the implementation. Sometimes it's gaps on our side and sometimes it's gaps, uh, software gaps on their side. Most of the time it's fragmentation within the people. So what the contractor ends up with in a process with us is a, um, a flow charted, a a, a, a basically a documented um, flow chart and a report of their current processes, gaps that they should consider looking at um, in terms of people and process, and then uh, software gaps that show we are not a fit and there will be too many workarounds required if they want to use our software. So they get value right away. It's up to them if they want to use that for consideration of how to improve their business. But we take it one step further and we have a list of companies where that have a lot of truthiness. So we score other competitors on truthiness. And when we run into toxic tactics, they're gone. When we, when we run into things like, uh, we call them pimps, uh, par <laughs> partnerships. <laughs> so uh, par partners in, market in marketing projects, meaning everybody says they're a partner. I'm partnering with so-and-so, we're partners with so-and-so, -and, -so, and they do that. Some companies are real partners, but some companies do that to mislead the customer into thinking that they actually are partners and have integrations that work at a deep level and they don't. It's just a very superficial level. We call that smokestacking. So the companies that are just saying that they partner with another company for the purposes of marketing to mislead people, we call them pimps. So um, if, when, whenever we see those red flags, um, they drop down levels on, on the truthiness scale. And now we have a short list of companies that are high on truthiness and we refer them and we're learning as much as we can about other competitors so we can take care of the contractor who invested all that time with us, that three to six months with us, they invested the time and we're not even gonna give them a proposal. We have to make sure that they're taken care of. So that's why why we do that. Um, it, it's phenomenal. And, and for those of you who are listening that think that Chad's full of shit right now and, and that they don't do it, they actually do it. So yeah. we were on a project uh, with, I was on a project with a company that, started throwing a ton of red flags for me and then actually mentioned Chad. And I reached out behind the scenes and said, Hey man, this is going to be a shit show. Here's where we are. Here's what's going on. Here's where you are. And, and literally uh, I watched their team take control and say, no, you yeah. cannot have us until you walk through this process. And this is what we are going to do. And, and they what, and they did go through the process and they did and it worked. And so uh, over here, we said, ask Chad who that one customer is. Who's not a disaster. Yes, Joe, every construction company is a disaster. <clears throat> here's an, here's, a, here's another note. Every software company is a disaster. Every company pretty much in general is a disaster right. at some level. Anybody who tells you they have their entire shit together is hiding something runaway fast because it's not true. Everybody, but it's whether or not, your disaster fits with our disaster and your chaos and our chaos can come together to make something productive. So do you have a problem that we can solve? And this yeah. came from, we, you can look back to the M suite and um, GTB Stratus uh, co-opetition episode we had. 
And Benny Beltrowski taught me when I came to ESUB, the first thing he taught me was not what a perfect ESUB customer looks like. He said, here's the 10 things that make this a bad idea for us to go down the route. Find out if they have any of these 10 things. And if they do, let's go through our Rolodex and find somebody that'll work for them because we're not a good fit. That is the key. It is, it is almost more important in our business of software sales to be able to quickly create KPIs that eliminate customers that won't be successful. Because the worst thing I can do is bring somebody on board that's not the right fit, shoehorn their asses in and get money from them for a year. And then they, they churn out because it wasn't worth it. And all they are going to do is badmouth me. And it's because they had a bad experience and because they weren't a great fit. And this is really freaking hard for technologists, right? Because we want to solve every damn problem. Honestly, sitting across from you, I don't care who I'm talking to. I want to solve your problems. And I hope that my software can be the thing to solve your problems. But it, it, it's true. It can't always be that. So I have to know what are the triggers that I can quickly say, okay, you're not good for me. And I, and I did. I had this conversation. I had it. At, so you guys know I work for Join. Um, and we are a general contractor base. Like that is who we sell to. We bring trades in, we bring other people in, we do these things, but I got a person on and he wanted to talk to me. And immediately it was like, I self-perform everything. I'm a trade contractor. This is what I do. And I was like, so we're no good for you. Uh, so what else can we talk about? And he was like, wait, you'll do that. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, we'll do that. Because the ultimate goal is like, I want you to go, Hey, those join people. And they didn't sell me anything because I wasn't the right thing, but you should take a look if you do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't, let's, let's turn you on to something else. So, well, yeah. Hey, uh, Trent, I think you got something. Yeah. I, I think Chad, um, obviously we, and Chad's approach is for real. And I think if anyone should be able to appreciate that it's construction. I mean, let's talk about even uh, specialty trades like where I come from. Look, look at estimation. I mean, how yeah. much money and resources do you put into something that uh, already has a pretty sufferable hit rate, right? So um, if, if everybody who, who had a toilet in their house called me and said, hey, do you want this job? And I pursued it, that would not be a very good method to profit for, for something that we do, right? I mean, you have to be able to tell those people, eh, that's not really our specialty, right? I mean, so I, I, I think, especially for people in construction, what you're saying should make complete sense to them. You hit the nail on the head when you use the analogy of estimating. So what we're doing does take a lot of time. So what, what we recommend is basically an estimating process and estimating covers material, equipment, labor, the full scope, right? Now get this, every contract that you see, it's open labor because implementations are difficult and there's too many variables to consider. Actually, take a look at the acronym behind me, VUCA. All of this is based on the VUCA concept. So VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Um, okay, hang with me for about five minutes here. For construction. I mean, <laughs> we can lengthen it. Just you're, call yeah. it construction. Hey, you're the I'm guest. Gonna, you're the expert. Hit us with it. Yeah, I'm going to go on a bit, a bit of a rant before I explain um, how you estimate labor and software. 
uh, so VUCA was a term that was born in uh, police and military, and uh, that, that, that's my background. Is I came, you know, from a police and military family on both sides, and I was a police officer myself, and and then I coach uh, mixed martial arts on the side. And I spent 40 years in, in the combat arts, so I literally live in, in in that arena. And what has happened over the last few years is literally the whole world's become a VUCA environment. But construction has always been a VUCA environment, and you have to approach things differently in a book environment. It's just like being on a battlefield. It, uh, you never know what's going to happen. So you have to be prepared and competent in a you know, volatile and certain complex in a arena. So when it comes to software, a lot of companies will avoid doing the estimating process for the labor. They'll just provide a page with rates on it. And if you put enough care and attention into estimating labor, to the level that you can provide a guaranteed max price agreement with detailing every single level of service that you need to get the customer live, which is going to be defined, you can get a, a, a GMP price, guaranteed max price uh, proposal in place that covers the labor. So the most important thing is in, in software agreements is, is to control the labor. You can get the pricing off the website, but the labor is what's going to kill you. Right. So we That's put so the cool. effort. It's it is, so in kind with what we do. Like it's just- it, That's yeah. all it is. That's all it is. So you, you follow the exact same process. Now people, well, there's two barriers. One, everybody wants a quick sale. And that has to do with the way the whole industry is incentivized, number one. Number two, you've got venture capitalists and uh, public companies that have shareholders at the center of their business model that require quarterly profits. So there's all of this pressure coming down. And if you're playing the short game, you can't do this. You're, you have to chase the growth. Now, it's funny because if they were just patient, if they were just patient and allowed companies to play the long game, to not worry about the quarterly profits, just worry about keeping gas in the tank and keeping the company going and truly put the contractor at the center of the business, forget about the shareholders, if they embrace that type of culture, when you do enough research, and all this research is out there, um, actually a good book to read was The Culture Code, and I believe this study is in that book. But if you play the long game and you embrace this type of culture where it truly is putting the contractor and your team at the center of your business model, the proper people that should be at the center of the business model, after 10 years, you see a seven, those companies, um, on average, see a 756 increase, uh, 756 percent increase in net profit over 10 years. Yes, you got to wait for it. Mm -hmm. That's the long game. And well, we're so, bootstrapped. We're seeing it. Yeah, yeah, you guys are bootstrapped. You're seeing it, and 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 so you're a little bit different in that side. But you and I have talked about this a lot. And Darren asked it. He said, you know, when I was saying what I was saying before about, you know, disqualifying an unqualified lead, even though you could sell them for a year, it's, it's takes a lot of discipline and cause you have investors and VCs waiting on a return on investment, but you hit something there, Chad, that you, you mentioned this term to me. I didn't know about it until you said it, but there's venture capitalists and there's vulture capitalists and yeah. those two exist consistently, but their track records are really easy to figure out. So this goes to where, and, and I think Joe's been trying to lead us down this, so I'm just going to jump on it and say it. 
we as a software industry have to have morals, ethics. We have to know what we're doing. We cannot oversell. We cannot overpromise. We have to put our customers and their successes at the center of our universe. That's the beauty, right? If you succeed, we succeed. Like we can't be the next Netflix or Amazon or Autodesk or Trimble or whoever, if you, our customers are not successful. However, however, there is an onus on construction, on the implementers, on the users, on the analyzers of this software to look past the flashy shit. The flashy shit sells you. If I mean, and this is a gift. I mean, I hate this, but I have this. If, if you show up and you don't have a plan, then I can prove to you that the software I have in hand is your silver bullet to rule the world because you don't have a plan. And it's yeah. because I truly believe in the software that I work for, right? It's not that I'm trying to, to mislead you, but you have a, a, a necessity and obligation to understand your problems, to understand what it is that you're doing and do your research too. All of this that Chad's talking about is available. If you can go and you can look at just about everybody's website and you'll figure out who their investors are. It's really easy. It's listed. They're listed somewhere. You can figure out who these backers are and then go look at those backers. Those backers have track records. You know, I, I was approached by a friend in a completely different industry because at one point, one of the companies I worked for was acquired. And I told them, do not buy the software, run. These people are vultures. This is what they do. And this is their MO. They've done it at every company they've come. Take a look. The person went and looked, listened, and then quickly the, the other customers that they knew, the software was gone. There was no support. There was no one left. There was nothing to do. So there's an onus on both sides. This is a relationship. Like this is what I love though. Construction yeah. is a relationship business, mm -hmm. right? That's 100% right. And somebody on LinkedIn the other day said, oh, you know, in the past, it was your relationships that win you work. In the future, it'll be technology that wins you work. And I was like, no, that no, is not true. Opposite, actually. What's actually going to be is your relationship with technology will win you work. It's the relationships are going to expand between companies and include software, right? We are going to be an ecosystem that really supports and is there for one another. There's room for Chad to exist and me to exist and all Tech of us will drive your relationship. Tech Thank will, you for sure. I mean, that's the only, yeah, that's the way you become favorable to the other party is by using this stuff. Yeah. It's percent. It's so, um, sorry. Go I was just going to say, are, are we, and I think I know the answer to this and I guess you an opportunity to elaborate then, you know, Chad, you're saying that you're starting to see the returns of, of those 10 years. Does that mean the, those vulture capitalists, are we starting to see them start to run out of money and the if good only, people, the, the cream kind of rising to the top? So what we're, yeah, what we're seeing is um, cycle. It's a toxic hype cycle um, it, it, with, with marketing. Um, so we don't, we all market markets uh, marketing is a partial truth but the onus is on the software provider to when you get into the sales cycle to disclose the whole truth right and um now with invested with investors some of them are excellent so full disclosure some investments are great as some companies do need that kickstart uh like um you know i met uh alice at uh 
brick and mortar, brick and mortar ventures, like they, they, it seems like they're doing it right with their acquisitions because they're not taking control of companies. They're letting companies in, in, in the vertical that they're doing acquisitions in and they're letting them organically grow as if they're bootstrapped and they just kickstarted it. So I like seeing that. But what uh, Jeff referred to as the vulture investing, the, the actual term is called leverage buyouts. And so when you start seeing leverage buyouts, like get this, um, they will uh, look at a company and they will, uh, take, they, they will take over that company. I call it toxic takeover. The, the, the leverage buyout is just a nice way of saying it's a toxic takeover. Um, if it's a, let's say they're investing 10 million into this $1 million company. They will actually go get a high risk loan from a bank for 9 million. And they will take 1 million of their own cash and give the company 10 million. What they do is they take that entire debt, that $9 million debt, and they put it on the books of the company that they bought. Then they keep their own separate books and they take all the profit each year and put it on their books and they don't show any of the debt. And they're using their books to show returns over about three years. All they need is about three years of returns and, they, and then it doesn't matter what happens to the company. So it's like getting a, it's like getting a, a loan for a Ferrari, putting, giving your friend the debt and then you driving the Ferrari the whole time, right? So that's what these uh, uh, leverage buyouts are and they're becoming more popular and the owners of the companies that are getting bought think that they're getting this kickstart Four years goes by and it starts to implode. And the only people that get hurt are the customers and the employees. Um, so that's the toxic level of investing that puts a, a tremendous amount of uh, pressure um, on people. And you can even see good people start to resort to bad tactics. And that's what's really disheartening when you start to see that. So we have... Um, we used uh, in police, we have decentralized control, police in the military, and that's what we use in our own organization to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Decentralized control forces people to ask three questions, um, just so you're not micromanaging. Uh, am I, what I'm about to do, is it legal and is it ethical? We all know that legal doesn't mean it's, it's right. So is it legal and is it, is it ethical? Is it aligned with my leader's intent? So we have the mission statement, core values, and we have our mantra keywords and a highly defined leader's intent. The third question, am I willing to be accountable for this action? So everybody at Plexus knows those. So that way we have all of these autonomous people that are all following along the mission, but they're always asking these three questions in if they are going to act independently. And that's how we keep uh, people aligned. And if shit hits the fan, we find an unethical behavior, they're instantly gone. There is no second chance because of these, the decentralized control model was in place. And that's how we keep our team performing at such a high level. So when you put all of this together, it's, um, you, 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 I know people can get desperate at times for the sale because of the pressure, but if you just push marketing aside and you focus on getting the right customers, doing the right due diligence on both sides to make sure that it's a proper fit, properly estimating what the labor is going to be. So if you invest that time at the, on, at the onset and the front end, you just end up having customers that, you know, they, they scream your name from the, from the hilltop. We don't have, we don't, we yeah. don't invest in the marketing. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway. The parallels I, I to the construction estimating sales processes are, are I mean, I, I've often said when we're talking about data analytics, you know, 
just, you know, we, we do the same thing with bid volume. We force bid volume down our estimators' throats. But like, what if we just focused on the 60% of the work that we're really, really good at Correct. and just and, and made exactly. more and made more money with less revenue? Well, and, and that's up front. Like, uh, so Darren said it somewhere in there. It's, re it's really, really hard. I think it was Joe, one, one of these great people listening in with us today is giving us great info is you know, it is really hard when too, if you're in the sales model and you're feeding your family, right. And it, mm. it, it does Absolutely. have a lot to do with your ability to sell, but that's where Benny helped me get up front and have really good qualification and disqualification conversations really, really early and really get that out. Why? Because if you're doing that in your sales process early enough, and again, Chad and I are very different in the softwares in which we represent, right? Ours is a, is a very fast time to value. You know, you think about fast time to values like photo documentation. You don't need to go through an entire ERP rollout to get your photos up and running in a place that makes sense, that organizes themselves a smart vid, so to speak, or somebody like that. You know, the, the open space instruction site, these are, these are more focused solutions that work in particular areas. Join is the same kind of thing. So for us, it's about helping and learning and creating that, that we call them sales development resources, SDRs, that are getting you on the phone, that are figuring out really, really fast. Are you a fit or not a fit? And if you're not a fit, that's great. Mm -hmm. Stay where you are and we'll move you on and move you into the sales cycle and go and partner with you and really, really figure out early on what success looks like, what failure looks like and what the right fit is and then move for it, right? It's, it's a lot of you don't know all of your problems and there's a ton of us out there talking to you. So if you're looking to figure out which companies are the right ones for you, what questions are they asking up front? Are they showing their shiny stuff? Or are they asking you questions about your business first? Are they right. asking you about your problems? So um, actually, the, the Travis, you... I didn't even address the second part of your question. This was a perfect segue into it. And that's uh, about the, you know, the companies that are employing toxic tactics, are they being outed? Um, I think they are because people are just getting pissed off. Um, like there's small things that are happening, like um, the, their market, their online marketing tactics, for example, are being publicized. Now there's a website called iSpinage, kind of like espionage. I use that all the time. So I go to iSpinage. And when you go to iSpinage, if you went to it right now, you would literally see how to steal your competitor's traffic. And you can go on and you can see which companies are using your company's, your company's name. So I can go on. So I went on and I'm like, okay, this company is using Plexus as their keyword. That company is, and it's totally legal. Remember, legal, it's right. Yeah. Legal. It's oh, not ethical. Yeah. Well, whatever. Legal, so, ethical, uh, hey. So, uh, go to, to iSpinoz.com right now. Go to iSpinoz.com right now and you can see it. it's, it's awesome. Um, so you get this insight into who, who's employing these toxic tactics, right? Um, who's trying to capitalize off your name. And we, we caught on to this because people were calling us saying, um, I got pulled into this uh, website and I thought I was talking to you, but I was talking to another company. And next thing I know, I was looking for a demo for Plexus but I got five companies calling me now. And then when that happened three times, I'm like, something's going on here. So that's when we started investigating and we ran into Icepinage. Um, but but um, what's, what we recommend for people in the sales process is um, you've got to 
It's called the indirect negotiation. We use it as police officers, and it's just ways to get people to talk. So when the when the sales guy starts, uh, sales is just an honest conversation about how to be better. So make the conversation honest. So when you're talking to them and you you start, uh, if you use these tactics, a lot of information will come up. So when they start talking at a high level, like we'll maximize your profit and we'll do this. And yes, we integrate with such and such. Perfect. Use a, a, it's a tactic called a mirroring or repeat backs. You just take the last two, three, four words that they said, you integrate with so-and-so, it shows that you're listening. So people who aren't lying and aren't trying to see you will just carry the conversation normally and it'll be a nice organic conversation. But if somebody says that they integrate with so-and-so and you say, you integrate with so-and-so, they have to say more. Or you can literally say, tell me more. So you get them to go deeper and the goal is to find out the level of integration. Uh, yes, we can, uh, we, can automatically, we can automatically scrape uh, invoices that come in and complete your AP transaction. Perfect. You can complete my tra AP transaction. Keep it going. Keep the conversation going. Now, here's the key. As they are making their statements, you are making notes about what they are saying, about the level of functionality, about the level of integration. Those notes, by the end of the sales cycle, end up being the appendix in your contract. On this date, we had a description of this level of integration. You can import my uh, budgets from an estimating system. Good. Uh, yes, to what level? Uh, to the Costco level. Costco level? Yeah, Costco level. Okay, but yeah, but I need uh, units of measure, uh, buy item, I need this and this. Oh yeah, we can do it. Perfect. Put that down, it goes into the, dependent, in, into the appendix. Now, here's the killer. What you do is you assign a value. If I don't get this by X amount of time, what's that value to me? And we call them performance credits, right? So you take their promises, you associate a value, and if that's not met, there's a performance credit. Your account is credited. If you start doing that, I promise you, man, um, you're going to see a whole different attitude if the people are misleading you. But if the, if the sales guy is telling the truth, he's going to be more than happy to have this conversation. In fact, he's going to leave the demo going, it went amazing. They're asking all the right questions. We hit it at the park. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a perfect customer. That's that's I mean, You hit the nail on the head with the, the educated consumer that asked those questions. You know, When I was with JV Knowledge, that's where I learned the show me, don't tell me, you know, and yeah. that came a lot from, 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 uh, from Chad, because it, it was hilarious. Um, and we're asked about this all the time. Like, do you integrate with this? Do you integrate with that? And it goes, you go, well, yeah, I can integrate with them. If you, if you want to just use your login for that, for us, sure. I can do that. Is that, that make it feel better? We're integrated. Right. Cause yeah. then I can, I can be done with that. But what does that integration mean? What does it do? And why the heck do you need it? Like, what are you going to do with it? Some of the times too, I'm going to flip it, Chad, because a lot of times they're like, you're talking about somebody who's really got a reason to have those integrations. A lot of other people are just like, I'm supposed to have integrations, so I'm just going to ask, do you have those integrations? And you're going, well, what would you do with that information? What would you like to see? And they go, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, you're integrated. You have integrations. <laughs> Yes, we're built on an API. We consume the API from the front end. Does that make you feel better? Great, because just having a single login, you can go to one login and provision yourselves to, to use your Microsoft login to log in everywhere, whatever other login you want to work, right? So it works. That, this is where you have to educate yourselves. Yeah. You have to define the problem sets. 
You do. And then you, you need to come to those. And there's this belief too, that we don't want you to be like that. Now there are a group of opportunistic salespeople that do not want you to be prepared. Absolutely. You must avoid them. Yep. And Amen. these are the people that are banging on every open door window. They're the people that you walk by in the mall and they're like, do you want to spray? <laughs> do you want to spray? Those you must avoid at least or show up educated. And uh, an educated consumer that gets the most out of our products that we sell to us is the greatest thing we can ever do. Right. Because for the longest time, then we've, we've got a relationship that can allow us to grow and build and consistently provide value back to the organization. That's, that's a truly when a company's not just monetarily driven, when they're driven by the successes of their customers, those that we want to stand at the top and just talk about all the things that you do, but we need all of you listening you know, and, and Darren, I know you're listening in and you're great at this. It, it's one of the worst people that you ever want to sit across from. There's like three people <laughs> I do not want to sit across from and sell software to unless I have a software that works for them is Darren Young, Matt Lamb, if you've ever met, Latin, met Matt Lamb, Lamb and he's... the king of all kings, Sam LaMonica. I... Sam's the biggest teddy bear on the planet. When you're working with them with the AGC and other places, you sit across from him and try and sell him software and he will tear through you. But it's people like that who get it, who understand when to flip that switch and be educated. And, so, and, and we need this. I, I was going to say, there's a lot of people who don't feel educated and I want to give them comfort. Picture, picture a police officer doing an interrogation, right? Um, I'm sitting in an interrogation room and I'm talking to somebody who has uh, committed an offense in some sort of industry, like a white collar crime that I have no, no, no knowledge of. No knowledge. I'm not an expert. That's where just knowing the right questions to, to ask and to get reactions and get the person talking will help you because it's not about what they say. It's about what you see right in front of you and how they're acting. So you don't necessarily have to be an expert. The, the, one of the biggest things that's happening right now is smokestacking. Smokestacking is when sales reps oversell the level of integration. Okay, 90% of contractors out there don't understand technology and integration. They just hear the word integration and they think, great. But if you're aware of smokestacking, like the Construction Focus Coalition is dedicated to bringing the industry together in a common data exchange, and they are not there yet. It just doesn't exist because it's a VUCA environment. Everybody speaks with so many different uh, perspectives and languages. So smokestacking is rampant. You don't have to understand technology. You just have to get the person talking and get them into a deeper level of detail. So the mirroring is great. Yes, we integrate with so-and-so. You integrate with so-and-so? Okay, boom, say more. Just start talking and get them to say more. What levels? You know your business. So the contractors out there that aren't experts, you know your business. You know your customer structure. You know your activity structure. You know all those. So ask questions about the integration in relation to what you do know. And if you get enough details, you will start to see the signs of deception in the person's face. That's what you need to look for if you're not an expert. 
Jonathan. Hey, um, I, I think you guys really, really did a great job of talking about the first part of sales. And I almost feel like we should have a follow-up episode to talk about sort of the other type side of the bow tie. Like you've bought this and you've watched these people come into your business and spend 15 to $20,000 implementing and your bill, you looked at it and you said it's $5,000. I'm a little worried that rather than churning out, they're looking at getting negative churn, which means getting a person to buy more stuff once they're hooked. And I think that that is a far, that, that's something I know, Chad, you, you actually addressed it a little at the very beginning when you said, hey, go look up how much venture capital's sitting behind those people to know whether they're going to up the prices on you. But I'd be interested, Chad, what are some of the warning signs that that second half of the ecosystem of owning software is going to happen where, hey, you bought it. They're wonderful. They're, they're saving the world. Oh, crap. Now they're charging a whole lot and they want you to buy six other products yep. and you know can you can you address some of that i mean again i think what you said at the beginning was perfect it's like go on see how much money is behind them because if they're charging ten dollars but they own 19 million probably probably there's something up mm-hmm. yeah and so i'm glad you brought that up so we call it dissolution protection <clears throat> um now what's happening in the industry right um you've got I think November of last year, there was 1.5 trillion spent in construction. So venture capitalists look at that and say, holy shit, that's 1.5 trillion. This is a massive opportunity. So they jump in. Now it's a, it, they understand that it's a, it's a VUCA industry. They know it's volatile like military, right? It's a, it's a volatile industry and venture capitalists do not like waves. They like nice special spreadsheets that look amazing. So that's why they want, you know, subscriptions. They just want those, uh, that nice, beautiful looking spreadsheet. So really I say shareholder centric, but it's actually spreadsheet centric. So what happens is, is um, they will look at it similar to like the military where there's that level of investment spending and they're like, holy shit, this is a wicked opportunity. So they're flooding the market. But the problem is in construction, the spending on construction technology is done through cash flow. Military, it's unlimited, man. It's from the government. So the funding of projects and construction is usually done in phases. The investment is very poor, gets limited because of the profit margins and poor cash flow. So the opportunity to make the return is not there in construction, but they don't know that. So they come in and what happens is, is um, a lot of the companies now in their partnerships, in their ecosystem, like one company, for example, is an accounting system, but they don't have financial reporting. So they partnered, they acquired a, a, a financial reporting engine and which you can see on Crunchbase, you can see all of the acquisitions and you can see how many uh, financial reporting systems that they have acquired. So this is a, a, a double dipping attempt at creating more revenue. They had the one financial reporting tool that they tacked onto their accounting system, charged for it for three years and then deprecated it bought another financial tool and then forced forced their company, forced their customers into getting the new uh, financial reporting tool. So the term, the the way that you protect uh, yourself from this is uh, dissolution protection. So you put a term in your contract that if a bolt-on product, if a third-party integration product sold with the software is deprecated and replaced with another, it's included. So if you, if you get that term in, if the software company really fights you on it, you know what their intentions are. So it's all about 
the intentions. There's some sales reps that don't know that this is happening. They have no clue. So when you ask them to put a dissolution protection into your contract to create to make it more fair, or at least at least for a decade, you put a timeline on it. It's it's understandable that some companies might legit deprecate. So you put a timeline on it, you put the dissolution protection in it. Um, the sales rep, if it's a good sales rep, is going to go, okay, I have to check with my manager on that. It's going to escalate up the chain because they've probably never seen it before. And when it gets up to the leadership, they're going to be like, uh-uh, we're getting rid of that product. They don't, none of the sales reps know it. We're getting rid of that product next year so we can get a new product in just so we can charge more revenue. Yep. That's not going through. You'll find out the attention real quick. Yeah, I think I think you hit a lot there. Um, it there is a lot. So, so you'll you'll see salespeople blame for toxic tactics. They don't actually always. Know. They yeah, just don't know it's. They don't know it's going to come. And and you, I love the crunch base. Go back and look at you know where their revenue is coming from, what they're doing, because there's two different models in our business, and that's something people don't talk about a lot is you can either either be fueled by profit or fueled by acquisition of customer. There is a model in which you can be making far less than your valuation. And it's really all about how many customers you're acquiring at the same time, which grows your valuation. But eventually you're going to do one of two things. You're going to be completely acquired by a venture capital company. That's going to require that you provide those profits in some way, shape or form, or you're going to go public and the street's going to offer it. And the street is going to tell you, and I will tell you when a company goes public, everything changes. It really does. There's just, there's no two ways about it. I've been involved in two of them so far in my life. And from inside, that's exactly what happened. It became not about customer. It became about stockholder. So um, there are, wait though, there are exceptions to that, you know, and it's, and that's where you have to look at leadership. So if you look at Jeff Bezos, right? Bezos sold in what, what was it? 19... 99, 2000, when he sold everybody and the shareholders on the vision of what they were going to do. And he told them, if, don't invest in us if you, tomorrow, if profits are what you want tomorrow. Yeah. We have a vision of taking over a lot of things and growth. And I, I think they didn't pay dividends, if I'm not mistaken, until two years ago it was the first time Amazon ever claimed a dividend in 18 years. And they're one of the, they're, they're the, Highest valued company in the world. If I'm Their not stock mistaken. doesn't pay dividends still. No it still doesn't. It did <laughs> once, right though? Trent, it did once. Like there was like no, one I've, week. I've I owned it for many years and no. <laughs> never paid shit. a dividend. <laughs> I swear they had one. No. No. All their money um, goes, goes back to the company. All the money goes back to R and D. But but hey, that at least you understand the leadership there. At least you understand where you're going. But the market forces are what they are. They are. That's why uh, I, when, um, when you went to join, actually, this is a perfect example, Jeff, because when you went to join, um, so we look on Crunchbase, you see that I believe it was a $4 million uh, cash injection. And when I was mm -hmm. talking to you, the first two things that you were talking about was their invest, their uh, uh, awesome culture and their investment into where you guys were going and you were describing the future roadmap. So that, which is where the investment should be. Now, if the investment is into Google AdWords and lead generation services, it's going to tell you. And, you know, after cash injection, after cash injection, after cash injection, there's nothing but sales and nothing in development, nothing into the investment of the people in the culture. You kind of know what yeah. side they're on right. with, with the level of toxicity.
Well, and you hit it. There's there's a lot of great investors in our industry too. I mean, you were talking about um, we had Alice on from Brick and Mortar Ventures uh, before. Uh, we had her on a show, um, you know, building ventures and the team there is, is a fantastic group. There are fantastic investors that are, that believe in the long-term success of the industry. So, but I, I know we got to wrap it up. We kind of got a hard stop, which is rare for us, but we do today. Um, I kind of want to see if anybody, any of the dorks have a final question for chat or I that, you know, just d- didn't get answered yet. Oh, I had it. I have one that I think could be pretty quick. So we, Chad, you know, um, we learned from you on, on tactics and, you know, how do you approach stuff like this? And I think coming, there's a lot of context like us out there that are getting pretty good at studying software and solutions on our own. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are pretty good at coming to those, those pre-perceived notions of what we call best in breed software. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to you, and, and maybe there is no real strategy to it, but what, what's a good strategy for a guy out there who kind of already knows that the solution he's talking to a salesman about is what he wants, but the salesman isn't giving him what he wants. I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, maybe, maybe that guy's not, uh, he's not hitting price points that, um, that us, that we know we can get due to our peers in our network. I mean, a lot of us are very close. Um, so maybe I'm dealing with a shady guy with a not so shady product. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what's the strategy for someone in, in, in those shoes? Say more. So you get them to say more. Now, when it comes to getting something, you got to give something, right? So there's two things. Get them to continue to say more. So if you break down the software features, look at the workflows and get them to keep on going with the workflow so you can investigate the software and everything that it offers with the features until you find some gaps. Gaps between what, remember, he wants the sale. So find the gaps that exist between your workflows and the software, and you exchange those gaps for a lower price if you need to fit a budget. If for some reason it's a real simple software, real simple point system and you can't get to that, then it's, uh, it's about um, exchanging something. So it's a give and get. So um, promise that upon uh, onboarding of the software and um, a uh, execution of a certain level of performance that you will deliver a certain number of prospects. You, the most valuable marketing, right, is word of mouth. That mismarketing is out there, but peers are the biggest trusted source. So if you can contribute to the word of mouth marketing, that has that is invaluable to salespeople. So find the gaps, exchange for cost, or um, contribute to, to word of marketing and help the sale help the sales guy be a king. <laughs> There's no better salesperson than a customer, to be honest. That's exactly. that's that's the one thing that that I think we all got to hang our hats on is, is that, you know, that's the best way for us to sell. I much rather get customer testimonials, customers talking about the software and how it's improved their lives and what they can do and how they can do it better. I mean, that's just, that's just truly the best way to do things. Um, I know we're, we're, we're wrapping it up. Um, Chad, any final thoughts to folks headed out the future, what we're up to, you know, what, what you want to send them out thinking as they leave the show? 
my biggest piece of advice would be <clears throat> if you're planning on investing a certain amount of time into the sales cycle, double it. That's it. Double it and talk more. That's uh, that'd be my biggest, uh, biggest advice. It's um, the good salespeople that are honest and that are there to truly serve you. They're going to love it. It's going to be an honest, authentic conversation on how to be better. It's that simple. The people that want to push you into something that doesn't necessarily fit your purposes, they're going to want to rush you. So just slow it down. Chad, hey. you, you've given a bunch of advice and a bunch of sort of resources. Is Where should we go to like find those web links and find more about like the little contract adders and everything else? Where can we find you, Chad? We want oh, to talk about this man, if, you, if you ask this question in uh, two months, it'd be a whole different story. So right now... Um, <laughs> I guess my YouTube channel, the uh, the yeah. Texas Patriot YouTube channel, would be to for the place to go now. However, uh, in October, um, I, I teach a course, a seven week course on uh, elite performance during chaos and critical stress, and all of these tactics are in that course. It's twenty episodes, and they're all just you know short little like twelve to fifteen minute episodes. Uh, in four different chapters uh, that uh, handle the uh, what what basically brain anatomy, because this all has to do with the performance of the brain. Um, training um, during action and after action tactics, and you will see a lot of really cool shit in that course. Um, so I'm going to have that out probably October. By the it's going to be the first time that I recorded it. We do it as part of training here at Plexus. This is going to be the first time that we recorded it. So we're going to make it public. Cool, man. Ping us when you do that and we'll make sure yeah. it gets out we there. Will, we will definitely make sure that gets out there. That sounds sick. That awesome. Sounds very worthwhile. Uh, make sure you share that for sure. And, and on my final thoughts, letting people go to is uh, Chad, you've covered this from like nine different angles, but it's pretty simple to understand that you have to look at someone's motivations to learn what they're truly there at the table. So each side has to do their homework, has to understand what good customers are there. If you're listening and you're in sales and you're on the software side, realize there is such thing as a bad customer, a customer that won't work out for you. I didn't realize that until Chad and I had a long discussion a while ago about that point system that, that they had created in which it doesn't mean they won't bring them on, but if they're over that 80%, then they're just going to bring them in and they're, they're willing to continue down the road. If they're below that, they're going to work on the leadership. Is the leadership bought in? Is this really a, is this really something that's going to get traction? Are they really going to be successful? So boil it down on both sides and look for their motivations. The motivations will pretty much tell you honestly where they're from, but I also wanted to use this show personally. So I'm going to come out and just say it personally that I think we are at a moment in construction technology when the providers have an opportunity to be like Plexus and like join and be different from the rest that have come before us. There are many that have come before us and done really, really well, but there are far too many that have come before us that we are tripping over your trash constantly. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat across from a customer who's still sitting on a five, 10 year old wound of buying something that just wasn't worth it. It was oversold. It was under implemented and it never delivered on those promises. Realize that we as software companies and you as consumers have an opportunity to raise that bar and push those people out. The best way to push them out is you do it with your wallet and your choices. 
you choose companies who do have the time. Plexus could have tried to grow far faster, far longer, and they haven't. They've stuck true. We here at Join are doing the same thing. We will stay true to our, our who we are and what we're doing. And I won't work for anybody that doesn't do that. And I think it's up to the industry to finally look and say, this is what we were, are going to do now and into the future because it's for the benefit of the industry. It doesn't mean I'm not going to compete toe-to-toe with anybody else in this industry. I'm ready. Chad, we don't, we don't get to do this that. anymore right now. And it's a bummer because I love to get in the ring and fight with you. But if you guys watch MMA, right, those, those men and women in those rings kill each other. And then what's the first thing they do when it's over, they hug the other one and they high five and they smile and they go back to the thing because in the end, who wins those of us watching. And I think those of us watching are the construction industry and we, we deserve to win. We, we, we deserve better. I get to say this because I've been on both sides. (laughs) So the industry as as a whole deserves better and deserves providers that get this. Um, So hopefully you take these conversations. Hopefully you take the wisdom that Chad has been giving me for the past 10 years in this business and guiding me to continue to hold true to who I am and hold true to who they are and hold true to who you are to be better. I mean, I cannot stress that enough, man. I can't thank you enough for what you've done. I mean, I wanted to be on the side of the show, but really you stole the show because you really brought a ton of truth, man. A ton. Make me blush, brother. That's my job here, man. That's my job. (laughs) And with that, it has been episode 30. Amazing. The shady side (laughs) of software. Guys, it's been an honor, man. Thank you. We ain't going to be quiet anymore, I think, is what (laughs) y'all just figured out. And we shouldn't have to be. Thanks for everybody who joined us live. Thanks for everybody who's listening in. This is the Construction Dorks signing out. We'll see you in two weeks. Build truth, baby. Hashtag build truth. Hashtag the Plexus Patriot. (laughs) This is my new. Have you seen that shirt? Something. Nice. It's like a. It's like a. It's a long sleeve with the hoodie, but it's meant for the heat. It like completely wicks everything off of you. It's the weirdest thing. My son's like, "You're wearing long sleeves. It's hot as hell. What are you doing?" It's actually quite comfortable. I, I'm sure it's an earlier version than what you're wearing, Jeff, but I had one of those and it was like the smelliest thing I owned in my house. <laughs> like, like there was like, it was instant smelly every time. And like you took it off and would put it down and my wife would be like, is that shirt somewhere? I know that's that shirt. <laughs> the shirt. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm pretty that's sure there's awesome. like a, there, there's a Seinfeld episode about that. I'm, I'm sure. sure. It's should I just put my background as the Wells Fargo logo? <laughs> Actually, get the big five up there. Where's you the know? party coming get from? Facebook. Who's having a party? Five. That's my. So I'm drinking water tonight because I have to go coach the semifinal round of softball. Uh, my daughter's friends are over here. So if you hear if you hear that, they're they're practicing their chants and cheers for the dugout and everything. If we had actual yeah. producers, we could put our ideas up before and somebody could like do really you know, cool backgrounds for us. There you go. Yeah, but we don't need to give John more to do. <laughs> yeah, we could crowdsource that shit. Right.
Jonathan's like crowdsource it. Yeah. Yep, yeah not yeah. me, man. <laughs> Chad's like, Chad's like crowdsource my BIM. I don't care. Seriously, you have, you have anybody it. that wants to do my work? <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you say that on the show today. At some point, like, hey, public right. service announcement. Yeah. I need BIM help. <laughs> Does anybody want help? Does anybody want a six-figure job tomorrow? Oh, Anyone? Jeez. Anyone. Be a detailer. Right now. Right here, right now. Because I could hire three of you.